ان الحمد لله الذي نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبد الله ورسوله ارسله الله تعالى بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وان كل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد ان اقول اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والفجر وليال عشر والشفع والوتر والليل اذا يسر هل في ذلك قسم لذي حجر الم تر كيف فعل ربك بعاد ارم ذات العماد التي لم يخلق مثلها في البلاد وثمود الذين جابوا الصخر بالواد وفرعون ذي الاوتاد الذين طغوا في البلاد فاكثروا فيها الفساد فصب عليهم ربك سوط عذاب ان ربك لبالمصاد رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي اللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا اله الا الله اللهم اجعلنا من الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر امين يا رب العالمين towards the end of the quran the short surahs of the quran each of them contain an entire world view if one contemplates on them our kids memorize them early and many of them know these short surahs but they are actually some of the heaviest messages in the entire quran and the purpose of this week's khutbah is to engage in an exercise of contemplation for us to actually ponder and think about the weight and the power of the word of Allah. And the example um, is something that I happen to be studying at the moment and I've been thinking about for some time is the opening of Surah Al-Fajr. In this surah, Allah began by taking a number of oaths. And in previous khutbahs and lectures, I've talked to you quite a bit about the purpose of taking an oath. Just a quick reminder about at least one of those things is that the oath is there to draw your attention. It's calling on something magnificent and it's there to prepare you for the subject that is to come. So the oath itself is not the subject, it's the preparation for the subject. Allah says, well, Fajr, I swear by the morning dawn break. Fajr, as you know, is also the name of the prayer associated with the break of light in the morning. Literally the word Fajr actually means explosion. In Fijar is explosion. The explosion of light as it pierces through the darkness. ashr And ten nights, and I swear by some ten nights. We'll talk about that in a second. And I swear by the, uh, the even and the odd. So now we've got three things. We've got Allah swearing by the morning break of dawn, ten nights, and then the even and the odd. And I swear by the night as it quickly passes by, as it breezes through. As it, as it quickly passes. And Sarayasri is actually to travel by night quickly. And it's describing the night as something that is just itself on a journey and it's quickly on its way out. Let's for a moment just understand conventionally uh, why were these oaths used? And because this surah was revealed in Mecca, the most people that were hearing these words were not Muslim. They were people of Arabia that were not exposed to Islam. They didn't know about the five prayers or they didn't know about the rituals. So they, when they heard these words, what did it mean to them? Right? They're kind of like a neutral audience. They don't, know, they don't have any Islamic background, if you will. And they're hearing these words. So how do they process them? Fajr, everybody knew, is Allah swearing by the break of morning. And in a lot of 
Arabic poetry and literature, just like it is in actually in ma many world literature, um, dark, the end of darkness is considered the dawn of a new era or a great change that is coming. And you guys know, and I know that at night, the world looks completely different. And in morning, it becomes a completely different place, right? So light, the breaking of dawn is the, break, the bringing about of complete change. Actually, everything around you, your perspective on it changes when night, when, when daytime comes, the color, the texture, the reality of something, all of it has changed. And in fact, even human activity, the world is a different place at night. It's a completely different place during the day. You could live in a, in a place or stay with somebody who's got a really big backyard and a beautiful garden and they're surrounded by trees and they're up on a hill and it's so gorgeous during the day and it's terrifying at night to go outside with all those trees and all that darkness, right? So it, it completely changes how you see something. So Fajr also represents the right about the time where things are completely about to change. They're about to completely change, Al-Fajr. Walayalin Ashr is, was famous actually, 10 days were known to be the 10 days of Hajj. And even the Mushrikun had some version of Hajj, actually, they maintained it. They knew of the Prophets, you know, Salih and Hud and Shu'aib and even Ibrahim they knew about these Prophets. They had twisted stories of them, but they had some memory of them. Even the Mushrikun of Arabia remembered that the Kaaba was built by Ibrahim السلام, and they had mixed up part of the story. But the ritual of Hajj and the ritual of Hajj being 10 days is something that they knew. And it's interesting that for, for Arabic students, the Layal al-Ashr, the Nakira form is used the, instead of Al-Layal al-Ashr, the 10 nights. It's 10 nights without the Al, making it indefinite. And that is to say, it, it has a rhetorical effect. And this is not a lecture about that, but just simply speaking, it's as if you know them, but you don't quite know them. It's as if the 10 nights are still there, but they're not what they're supposed to be. It's as if their reality has become, in a sense, Mubham, it's become unknown to you. And that's maybe a, a, a reference to the fact that the 10 nights that were supposed to be performing performing the Hajj as taught to Ibrahim السلام, has now been lost. So the 10 nights are there, but they're not quite the 10 nights that they were originally intended to be. وَالشَّفْعِ وَالْوَتَرِ And the, the even and the odd. And one specific matter of the Hajj ritual is the day of sacrifice and the day of Arafah, which are even and odd. Right? So the day, day of day of Arafah and then the day of sacrifice. So which is again referring to the Hajj period. So it's really interesting. One Fajr, Allah swears by Fajr, which makes my mind go towards a great change that is coming, that is all encompassing. And then he starts talking about these rituals of Hajj, which obviously for Makkah in particular are relevant because these are people that live around the Kaaba, right? So everybody knows what 10 days refers to. Everybody knows what even an odd refers to because that's a big part of their culture. That's, that's the center of their city. That's actually the basis of, on which their city exists is the Kaaba and therefore the ritual of Hajj. And the night that is quickly on its way out, which is kind of like describing Fajr all over again, isn't it? Because Fajr is the coming of the morning and is the night that's quickly come, leaving. So that all of that is actually kind of packaged between the coming of a great change and the end of darkness, in between it is this ritual of Hajj. And the ritual of Hajj is centered around one thing, the Kaaba. But again, all of what I just said is not the, is not the subject. It's not what Allah is talking about. He's just preparing you for what He's going to talk about. This is just setting the stage for the actual topic that, that, that is at hand. And before we even go further, even for this prep portion, He says, هَلْ فِي ذَلِكَ قَسَمٌ لِذِي حِجِرٍ 
Is there enough of an oath in all of that for those that possess a real mind? For those that possess, possess intellect? Allah asked this question as if, you know, usually Allah, He'll take an oath like Asr, And then He won't say, by the way, is that enough of an oath? Should I tell you the topic now? He doesn't do that. that that's not normal for, for Allah. But in this particular passage, He asked this rhetorical question, I have prepared your mind. Have I not prepared it enough for any, any of you that actually have a mind to think with? And the word for mind in this ayah is hijr, which is also unusual because the mind in Arabic has many words and one of them is hijr, which comes from the word rock. So what that means is the mind is able to make solid decisions. It's, a, it's able to be firm, which is different from the heart. The heart feels one thing one time. It's anxious. It's afraid. It wants to, it wants to run. It wants to take a decision. It wants to do one thing. And then it's doubtful. No, I should do this or I should do that. Or I should. the heart can be all over the place. But the mind knows this is the right thing to do. Right? The, the mind is solid. So people that have a solid, when, they, when their mind is able to override the 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 you know the turbulent state of their heart and they're able to follow their thinking and overcome their emotions these are people of hijr so that's what allah is referring to and calling on for those kinds of people this is enough of an oath i still haven't unlocked this somewhat of a riddle yet but let's keep going again we're still not at the topic but before we even get to the topic the first question was was this not enough for you so this must be enough for us like allah is almost scolding us to tell us Really focus on this. And then he asks us a bunch of these questions. And I'm going to focus about the next five, seven minutes, maybe more of my khutbah, on these questions that Allah asked the Prophet himself, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But the audience is really interesting, right? Allah is talking to the Prophet, sallallahu The Prophet is reciting this. And the people that are listening are the mushrikun. So there's three parties now, Allah, the Messenger, and the people, right? And now, all of a sudden, this first part was for the people. Any of you have a mind? Any of you want to think? And now Allah turns his attention away from them and talks to the Prophet while the Prophet is reciting. And this the scene needs to be understood because I mentioned three parties, right? Allah, the Messenger, and the people. Allah is, imagine I'm talking to somebody, but I know others can hear me. Right? I'm, I'm talking to Ahmed and I know Maryam can hear me. And I say, you know what? Some students really need to pay attention. And if I say that to, I'm not saying it to Maryam, but I kind of am. Right? I kind of am, it's an indirect kind of a threat. It can be an indirect kind of a jab when you're talking to one person and you know the other's listening, right? So this is what's going to happen in these coming ayat. Alam tara, didn't you see the Prophet Didn't you see, didn't you realize كَيْفَ فَعَلَ رَبُّكَ بِعَادٍ Didn't you see how your master dealt with the nation of Ad? The ancestry of Iram? The people that possessed long, large columns, their columns made of, you know, the Imad in old Arabia were these giant tree barks, that logs that they used to pitch big tents. Like their tents were kind of like residences sometimes, right? So they take this giant tent and or log in the middle and they pitch the tent all around it to get a high roof and to get a wide area, wide circumference for the for the tent. Those imad, those pillars are actually called, that, those pillars are called imad. That's the plural of amud. Now, this reference is actually to, to a few things. One, that these people were able to build very large structures, structures that have large columns. But structures could be figurative. It could also mean these people were pretty well built. 
and they were very powerful because a powerful nation has great buildings and great buildings all, always have mighty pillars. If you go to like the ruins of any great civilization, even if the building has collapsed, what's still standing, the pillars are like the great Egyptian columns, right? Or columns in a Roman Colosseum, an ancient Roman Colosseum, much of the structure may have collapsed, but the pillars are still standing, right? And the pillars are sign of the power and might of a nation. And that's why you'll see that in powerhouses around the world, where, where government buildings that are the center of power, you'll see very often that they, even if it's not an architectural need, they will put columns there as a symbol of power. So like a courthouse, for example, you'll have long steps and you'll have columns, right? Or a presidential building or a Senate building or a Capitol building or whatever. They'll have these columns there to illustrate this is a house where power is centered. And it's, a, it's an expression for how, you know how columns hold up an entire building? It's like these people are holding up the entire society. They're, they're keeping the society in place. If these, if you know, they say when the pillars of the, the government buildings, pillars have collapsed, the pillars have collapsed, mean the entire society has collapsed. So these people having pillars actually meant they were a very stable government, stable society. They were people great in architecture. Imad can even be a reference to their bodily strength. They were, you know, built people. They're very muscular people. Nobody would mess with them. This was the nation of, of Ad and their ancestry going back to Iran. And they were known for their great column architecture, you know, even pre-Ibrahim alayhi salam. So this is The likes of which were never even created in any of the lands. The Arabs didn't just stay in Arabia, they, 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 uh, they, they, they engaged in trade. So as they travel, they see different lands and they pass by different kinds of ruins and columns. And they saw some of these. And when they saw these, you know, uh, they would be like, we've never seen anything like this. What is this? They would be in awe. And even they know that nothing like this was ever made. They had, a, they had something that nothing was ever created the likes of. And then Allah says, وَثَمُودَ And so the first question to the Prophet was, didn't you see how your master dealt with these people? He asked the Prophet And then he asked the Prophet وَثَمُودَ And didn't you see how your master dealt with the nation of Thamud? الَّذِينَ جَابُوا الصَّخْرَ بِالْوَادِ the ones who used to carve boulders and make homes inside them, right? There's basic architecture is what? You take pieces of wood, you take pieces of rock, you break it, you bring it somewhere, you put the pieces and elements together, now you got yourself a home. These people were so advanced in what they could do, they could take giant boulders and carve entire rooms and homes and palaces inside the mountain itself. They would turn the custom caves, if you will, turning them into homes. This is how powerful and advanced they were. This was a unique form of architecture, arguably the first people to do that at the level that they did. Jaba means to cut. They're cutting rock. Now, nowadays we think of cutting rock as this advanced technology with drills, explosives, things like that, right? Now imagine ancient people that are cutting rocks and building entire homes out of them, not chipping, cutting entire rock and chipping them. What, what advances that Allah give those people? Now Allah is talking to the Rasul Sallallahu and who can overhear, again I remind you, the Quraysh. And all of this will come together to what it means to you and me at the end. So bear with me. So when they can hear, the people who can hear him are the people of Mecca. And the people of Mecca don't even have stone architecture to speak of. The only building in their proximity is the Kaaba. And even that, that's gone through several damages. They're not, a, they're not a society of large columns or carving rock. They're a Bedouin society. 
they go do trade with societies that have columns and you know palaces or they pass by ruins of great nations that once existed right and allah says above and beyond that wa fir'auna and what about the pharaoh do you see how your your master dealt with the pharaoh the possessor of pegs and mufassirun differ on what the pegs here mean let's look at a few things you know how a peg is like a you know a, a triangle looking thing a pyramid literally pyramid looking thing stuck into the ground right so one group even holds the view that the pyramids are being referred to the, the pharaoh that possessed the pyramids look at that society and look at what they built another reference to what the architectural might of that nation what they were able to build even now architects and archaeologists are like at a loss for how this got built the technology behind the construction of the pyramids or how did this get built and how is it with this precision and how are these mighty tons of rocks being lifted hundreds of feet into the air you know and so this is Allah now referring to the Prophet and saying not nah, didn't you see the advances of this nation or the advances of this nation or the advances of that nation he didn't say that he said did you see what he did with that nation and that one and that one changes the conversation it's as if Allah is saying despite their advances that are far beyond the advances of the people that are right in front of you when they decided to Stand against me. Do you not see that I completely wiped them out? Their, their invincible power. Nobody did what they did. Nobody had what they had. And yet they were wiped off of the face of the earth. And we can't even find a record of how they existed. And we're trying to unearth mysteries of, you know, tombs are being dug. And mysteries are being solved on what they must have believed and how they must have lived and what kind of you know pots must they have eaten in. We're still unearthing those mysteries. That's how far deep into the ground they got buried. And they were the invincible people in the land. This is the question Allah asked the Prophet ﷺ. But notice how Allah says it. He didn't say, didn't you see how Allah dealt with them? He said, Alam rabbuka? Didn't you see how your, your master dealt with them? As if the highlight here in the ayah is Rasul and the fact that the one who is behind you is the one that had the power to take the invincible and make them completely powerless and forgotten. And what does he say about them? Why would he destroy them? The answer is in the ayat themselves. He says, Those who rebelled in the lands, those who oppressed the weak, those who were ruthless with the poor, those who didn't care about their neighbor, those who lied and cheated and stole, those who were, you know, were, were they disregarded their elders. Those who were, you know, an affront to humanity. Those who were selfish and greedy. These, these people that caused corruption in the land and oppression in the land, in, in their lands, فَأَكْثَرُوا فِيهَا الْفَسَادِ And that they made, you know, the, the interesting, the word Bilad ibn Ashur even says that it had a ripple effect. Like if one nation does corruption, then neighboring nations learn from that and that corruption spreads to them too. So when they engage in a certain kind of behavior, that behavior spreads, especially if that nation is a superpower. So for example, America for the last half century was, or, or more even, was an iconic cultural superpower, not just a military one. So the music, the American music gets exported around the world and you know, American film industry gets exported around the world. And you know other cultures, even the new, newer generation start adopting elements of American culture into their own because they're emulating whatever comes from here as the iconic way to follow, right? 
And that's changing now in a more globalized world, but that, that was the case for a long time. But what happens when someone's, when a nation's on top, then they're good, they're bad, the ugly, whatever they got, everybody wants a piece of it. And everybody wants to copy it. They become trendsetters for the better or for the worse, right? And so Allah says, those who, who engage in rebellion in multiple lands, in lands, meaning not just their own land, they, they set this precedent for others too. This is the power of influence, right? He says, and in all of the lands, then they made corruption become too much. They made it plentiful. This is the reason they got destroyed because of the, you know. So now, when a historian studies the fall of great empires, right? And I've watched some, I've read some books on this stuff, I've watched documentaries on this stuff, the rise and fall of great empires. They talk about the empire spreading too thin, they talk about resources being spread, they talk about natural disasters like famine and, you know. The, the military couldn't get their food supplies and some of their naval ships got destroyed or there were some internal power struggles and all this stuff. These are the political, social, economic reasons, you know, even, even uh, uh, geological reasons why some nations became too big for their own good and they started collapsing, like the Roman Empire, for example, or even the great, you know, the great Egyptian Empire. But Allah offers a view on that that no historian can offer. And Allah says that he would never have, even despite all of their challenges, they could have continued to flourish. And they could have remained powerful. But there was some, there was an element that made them lose their invincible power. Nobody was able to touch them. But two things they did. What are the two things? They rebelled in the lands and they caused a great deal of corruption. That's why those nations collapsed. And how did, how did they collapse? Allah says, then sabba actually is to take a, a container like a like a bucket, right, or a, some kind of a, a pot, and you dump it. Like if you take the water and you just dump it immediately, that's called sub, right? So if you drizzle the water out or you kind of slowly take it out, that's not sub. But if you just dump it out all at once and you just you know flood it. That's actually called sub. Allah says, فَصَبَّ عَلَيْهِمْ رَبُّكَ He flooded them. And in the case of the Pharaoh, that was literal. But this is an expression for Allah describing how it was one massive powerful sweep that actually was the collapse for many of these nations. And it was sawta adab. Sawta adab. Sawt was used in Arabic for a whip that they make out of leather and they turn it into twists so it can hurt extra. And they whip an animal with it to make the horse run faster, the horse whip. He literally says it was the whip of one overpouring punishment that got them and they were wiped out. All that power and it was gone in a split second. Now what is this? What I just described over the last seven, eight minutes, these great mighty empires that Allah just eradicated, what does that have to do with the beginning? The beginning was about the Fajr and the, you know, the days of Hajj. You know, you see a parallel? You're comparing some of the greatest monuments of architecture known to the Arabs at the time. And one of them even across history, like the pyramids, the mighty Egyptian empire and their architecture, which makes its way even on the dollar bill today, right? Though that, that level of advancement on the one hand, and he compares that to rituals surrounding a small, you know, rectangular structure in the middle of nowhere with no architectural marvels around it, that was the house built by Ibrahim alayhi salam, whose rights are now being violated and corruptions going on around it.
And it, yet it, it is, there's a new dawn coming for that house. There's a new age coming for that house. Allah is describing here that we define power differently and He defines power differently. That faith, the faith that that house is going to protect, the Kaaba, the faith that Ibrahim was given, the faith that was being restored by Rasulullah that faith is actually invincible. And all the might in the world is going to collapse, but that won't. That's timeless and that's powerless. Because behind it is your Rabb. And behind them is just human beings. That's, that's the message that's being delivered in these ayat. It's remarkable to me that in the middle of all of this, Allah says, is this enough of an example for those who have a mind? And the word for mind used is hijr. And hijr is the closest thing to a rock. And here we have a structure made of rock and has hijr aswad in it. And here, on the other hand, you have all these structures of rock. Now the rocks remain, but the nations are gone. So the people, even kind of from the imagery point of view, Allah is referring to our minds as, can you really understand what power means? Can you really understand what security means? Do you really think those nations had might compared to what Allah has? Compared to what you have been given by Allah? So he says, inna rabbaka, he concludes with this to the Prophet He says, inna rabbaka labil mirsad. Your master certainly is waiting in ambush. He's, mirsad is an is in, uh, interesting word. It can be considered a varf too. But he's, he's in a place where he's about to ambush. Meaning Allah sees people do wrong. He saw the Egyptians do wrong many centuries. He saw the nations of Ad and Thamud do plenty of wrong. And it's not like Allah was blind to any of that or unaware. Allah is not unaware at all. But there was a time for that whip to come. There was a time for that flood to hit. It was not the time yet. And he says now at the end, this is actually the subject itself. I told you the oath prepares you for the subject. This is the subject itself. Your master is there ready to engage in the attack. But he is waiting for the perfect time. They haven't arrived at that perfect time yet. Nobody's getting away with anything. This, my, what did this do for the, the believers who heard it? Who thought about it? They realized something. We may be few. We may be considered crazy. We may be considered extreme. We may be considered outcasts in our society. We may be considered unacceptable by our own family because we believe. We may be considered the weakest. We may be considered all of these things. But the reality of it is, we are in the strongest position and they are in the weakest position. And they don't even know it because inna rabbaka labil mirsad. Again, not inna allaha labil mirsad. Inna rabbaka labil mirsad. Your, mas your master is, is waiting in ambush. He's waiting to ambush. He's waiting for the, the, that time when the time comes. Meaning, you have a master, you have his backing. They can have whatever else backing they want. They can have the backing of the mighty Egyptian pharaohs. They can have the backing of the, the power of the nation of Ad and Thamud, which they don't even have. But even if they did, so what? Your Rabb dealt with them. He can deal with anybody else. This is, you know how I say, um, who's got your back? Who's got your back? We're not invincible. We're weak. But we have behind us, we have supporting us, our, our Rabb. The last message I'll share with you on this, that is, the, the take-home message from this opening of this extremely powerful surah is Allah keeps saying, Rabbaka, 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 Alam tara kayfa fa'ala Rabbuka? Right? 
Now again, inna rabbaka labil mirsad. And he's talking, I keep telling you, it reminds us that he's talking to his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So, sounds like, okay, yeah, Allah supports his messenger, but what about the rest of us? Great, Allah supports his messenger. And nobody can overcome Allah's messenger because the, his, his rab has his back. But that's not talking about us. No, but it's telling us something pretty important. How loyal are you to his messenger? Because are you Muhammadur Rasulullah walladhina ma'ahu? Are you from the people who understand Muhammad is the messenger of Allah sallallahu and those who side with him, they back him up, they are with him no matter what, they don't, they don't have him mocked, they don't mock his legacy, they don't mock his instructions, they don't, they don't, if they slip and fall away from his beautiful legacy, they get right back up and get aligned themselves with him because they understand something. Allah has Allah is behind him. Allah is backing him. And if I want Allah to back me, if I want Allah's support, then I better align myself with the legacy of this messenger So in implicitly in these ayat We're being told The strongest power you can have with you Is your alignment with the messenger of Allah And the message that he brought That is the, that is the source of invincibility Everything else is you know, fallible Everything else falls apart It doesn't matter how, how powerful it seems Today we're living in a world of virtual power Influence is considered powerful Media following is considered powerful Money is considered powerful. These things, these virtual things have now become powerful, right? And somebody's opinion can be considered powerful. Somebody's credentials can be considered powerful. Militaries can be considered powerful. These are all the, the, the containers of power in the world. In your, in your own personal life, somebody's age can be a source of their power. Their position in the family can be a source of their power. Their position in the society can be a source of their power. Their physical strength could be a source of their power. And Allah is telling us, you are, you're looking at power the wrong way. You're looking at it the wrong way. The, that small structure that no one knew about, the majority of the world had no idea what the Kaaba was, this little building that's not even you know, ma massive square footage in the middle of nowhere in a desert, right? And look at what happened to all of those power structures and look at where that stands today. And look at how that resides inside the hearts of people, right? People don't remember the names of their kings from many civilizations ago. Doesn't matter how great their civilization, they don't remember. And they don't, they don't, you know, they don't hold them in high regard. It's just, they're relegated to history books. And the people in whose hearts Allah put the faith that he revealed to Ibrahim السلام, and the faith that he revealed to Rasul we still have those people that Allah revealed to, we have them in their heart as if they're, they're dearer to us than our, than our own families. That's power. That's a powerful legacy. And that's what I want, you know, especially the younger audiences that are listening to me to understand. You guys, you get, you get so uh, um, influenced by things you consider powerful, things you consider attractive. And you don't realize those things, they're, they're, they're fluff, they're nothing. Understand their valueless nature. You know, you can enjoy this world, but don't let this world own you. We have something much more powerful in our possession that Allah gives us, that gives, gives us our strength. Allah make us a people that contemplate the Qur'an and find strength in Allah's words. And may Allah Azza make us feel what those first people felt when they heard the word of Allah, when they saw bullies in front of them and antagonists in front of them and haters in front of them. And when they heard Allah's words, they found themselves to be strong. They didn't feel weak anymore because they heard the word of Allah. May Allah Azza make that, that word of Allah a comfort for us, no matter what trials we have to face 
inside and outside. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikri al-Hakim. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salatu wa salamu ala ibadihi al-lazhi nastafa khususan ala afdalihim wa khatamin nabiyyin Muhammadin al-Amin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد عباد الله رحمكم الله اتقوا الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء القربة وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا